Welcome to Take Your DM Shot with Tristan Ham, Jonathan Crest, and Steve Sherfan. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring the mechanics of RPGs and then running a couple of one-shots just to figure out how the hell do you play this game. Welcome to Take Your DM Shot. Welcome to another episode of Take Your DM Shot. Uh, as you know, as you've been listening, as your loyal listeners, you know the format of this where we explore the rules of a certain format of a certain game and then we play a one or two or three episode uh, one shot seems to grow each time every time it grows John <laughs> every time lots of pressure on me then I gotta, yeah, that's I gotta get a, a three fur going <laughs> I hope you got a good story coming up because <laughs> you're gonna need it that's the goal isn't it the three fur that's that's the pressure we put on to you but uh, um, good to know that <laughs> yeah uh, but, but, but uh, so uh, Steve's gonna walk us through uh, a new system, uh, one that I have not played, but have been dying to play, uh, and I'm super excited to get into that. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we're actually going to take a couple episodes, I think, for this one to go over rules and the character creation, mm-hmm. which will be good. So that'll be over a couple episodes, and then we'll launch into a, a story to try to sucker out. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Cyberpunk Red. Yes. So yeah, uh, I'm not a you know I'm not coming here from oh I've played years and years of cyberpunk uh, TTRPGs. Um, I kind of I'm coming into this as kind of a noob that uh, I'd heard about it. We you know with the whole I guess uh, hype of cyberpunk yeah. 2077. I you know I'm a video with gamer. Show? I guess first yeah. yeah. Oh and, and now oh, there's a Netflix show, but no, yeah, four from the video game. And so uh, when our Telstarian games are like, hey, we have a we have a, a TTRPG that we're developing to kind of link their previous cyberpunk because uh, yeah, it started out as a TTRPG. All these these cyberpunk games are tabletop games. They weren't uh, you know video games. Obviously, they take movies and other cyberpunk yeah. uh, themes as their uh, reference, and then yeah. See, I had that backwards actually. I I was sure that that the kind of craze, and, and maybe that's just I I was my head in the sand. I was sure that it was kind of the opposite where. Right. Uh, the games were inspiration, or the video games rather, were inspiration for now tabletop. But no, yeah, it's the other way around. Exactly. Like, I was just yeah. like, yeah, you know, we'd all watch Blade Runner, I bet. And it's yeah, like, oh, that's yeah, cool, that's right. kind of thing. And then you know, along with our day, and then yeah, by coming from the video game world, go okay, yeah, this the cyberpunk game seems pretty cool. Yeah. You know, while I was waiting for the you know multiple year development time, it's like, what, what can I do in the meantime? And found out that the company that had that owns the IP of, of cyberpunk is uh, actually a tabletop RPG yeah. developer. So. That's they've they've been in the game for a while, um, since the '80s. Really? Wow. Uh, so yeah. Uh, Holy. So our Telsorian Games is the uh, is the publisher, but it was actually founded by a gentleman by the name of Mike Pondsmith. Okay. And he's the actual main author, head author, not only you know the founder of this company, but he authors all the cyberpunk games. And I'm saying that there are multiple ones. Basically, in '88, when they released their first version of cyberpunk mm-hmm. even though they're under different names as they progressively go they're actually different editions of the same so it's oh, a, a series like maybe D&D to us. kind of yeah but oh, okay it, but it, it's basically uh there's a continuous uh canon of, of story yeah but also they're, they're different editions and they're iterating on the on the original uh games nice. what, what what um and you'll probably get to this sorry i don't want to jump the gun oh, but really? i'm just i'm curious about what edition we're at currently technically we're at four four okay okay yes nice yeah, the first one, and yeah, just making sure here, checking my notes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When did Blade Runner come out? I'm just trying to think that this pre this, this didn't predate Blade Runner, did it? 82, I okay. want to say, but I'm probably wrong here. Um, I don't think it predates because um, he was taking Blade Runner as, oh, like, as, taking, as, as oh, okay. a major part of the yeah. inspiration. So, yeah, the first uh, cyberpunk uh, called yeah. him, you know, uh, his 
kind of a, a warning here, and sorry, folks. Uh, the names of the games are actually dates and years that we're already at. Oh, for the first oh. bit. So the first Cyberpunk game was called Cyberpunk 2013. Nice. Oh, there so is. Yeah, we've been here and you know done that, right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the dark future. So <laughs> why don't we all have cyberware in our heads already? Like, come on. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and that was released in '88. Okay. So yeah, they've taken you know uh, Mike had taken like the Neuromancer and. Uh, um, Blade Runner as his inspiration, and then another cyberpunk uh, IPs, and then yeah, developed nice. uh, Cyberpunk 2013. Uh, they created a new system. I'll kind of name them a little bit later, but yeah, yeah. they came up with their own. Uh, they've done other games as well. I think a sci-fi uh, game as uh, TTRPG as well. Um, okay, but uh, yeah, that's what kind of when everything kicked off with the Cyberpunk 2013 in '88. Yeah, and then that followed some. Uh, there were some supplements, and they released some books. But then the next. Um, Edition came in actually 1990, oh, uh, and they called cool. it Cyberpunk 2020. Uh, <laughs> like, nice. yeah, we've been there and done that, right? That's so, brilliant. Um, and that was that seemed to be the, the biggest hit. Like, uh, there were people even still playing the 2020 rule set to, wow. today. Oh, like, that was pretty good. People were itching, like when uh, when Red, you know, was kind of first announced. Everybody's like, oh, we're all still playing 2020. Good. Let's let's see the the next year because uh, yeah. Uh, Red wasn't. Uh, it's only been a few years since it's been released here. So okay, so yeah. take quite a lot of time in developing each of these iterations. Uh, I guess like there's only obviously the two year gap there. Yeah. yeah. But then uh, the next, the third edition was it's called Cyberpunk uh, version 3.0 or V3.0. Yeah. But that didn't come out till 2005. So there's a wow you know, a bigger gap there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. 15 years. Jeez. Yeah. Far out. So that V and unfortunately V3.0. Uh, didn't really attract too much. Like no one really liked it. They they made a different system called uh, Fusion, mm. whereas their first system uh, that they had developed was called Interlock. So they, they tried to change up their uh, the game system. Okay. And uh, apparently now V point three uh, three is not canon. Ah. Uh, so it's pretty bad if they had to kind of remove it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's almost like D and D three point five. In a way, like right. that gets yeah. shit on a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So could be or if, or four or four. Yeah, <laughs> four. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you didn't even want to mention it, right? Is that bad? We're not allowed to <laughs> contractually. Oh, we're not. I have to edit that this out. out. Yeah. yeah, sorry, everybody. <laughs> My bad. I might get you know <laughs> taken out back after this. And <laughs> we'll beat it, idiot. <laughs> so yeah, and then uh, and that was in um, version three. It came out in did I say it? Yeah, two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, 2012 was when the video game was first uh, kind of announced. That's right. And so uh, with... It was that long in development? Yeah. Wow. Because the game we didn't come out until 2020. Piano to have his resurgence before they oh, released the video. Okay. Much. They made this role for him. Yeah. <laughs> you just had to wait for him to catch up. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and just the way the development seemed to go is that Keanu wasn't brought in until... Later, ah, so yeah, yeah oh. they're like, and if you want to read the debacle of uh, Cyberpunk 2077's uh, development oh. and release, you know you can find that other. <laughs> uh, I'm just you know it's incidental and it's actually yeah, there is some uh, context you know it's needed in the context here because Red is meant to bridge what happens in 2077 yeah back in 2020. It's meant to bridge that gap. Okay, so basically as um, 2077 was announced. Artelsorian Games, Mike Pondsmith, were making red. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. And the Jumpstart kit came out in 2019. Okay. And now it's we're back to using the interlock system. So Fusion, uh, spelled F-U-Z-I-O-N, is, you know, kind of a thing of the past. Right. Um, and yeah, so the Jumpstart kit came out in 2019. Uh, there was a, it was a con it was uh, announced at, but then the rule book 
the core rulebook didn't come out until uh, November, our November 2020, which was a month before the the game uh, video game released. And so, wow. yeah, we've been um, people have been playing ever ever since, right? As soon yeah. as they were able to get the hands on the, the jump starter. And and again, I don't want to jump ahead of your of your your notes there, but did, did they ever explain why Fusion failed so badly? Like this, uh, I didn't look into that too much. Like yeah. uh, it'd be interesting to when whether you know I might be wrong. It might not have failed. It's just. Uh, just wasn't was popular enough. Because yeah. it seemed that um, I, was, I read a line that uh, 2077 was actually um, kind of half part based on the, the lore of version 3.0. Oh, okay. And so maybe oh, they wanted to go just a different direction, you know, as far as canon wise. And then, but ah. uh, yeah, it seemed it, it might indicate that because obviously, yeah, we've gone back to interlock and fusion was meant to be an interlock plus another kind of to be a more generic. Oh. Um, system compared to uh, what Interlock was, and now we're yeah. back with Interlock, so maybe they just, yeah. So again, kind of like D&D 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they tried to make it more simplified for everyone to get into it. Right. People well, did not like it, so. It's funny that it's like, yeah, that, isn't that funny? It's like, hey, let's simplify and make this easier, but yeah. I don't think people necessarily want that. Like, right. Like Shadowrun is notoriously complex. Right. As far as its mechanics and things like that. I mean, um, what else? Uh, uh, Pathfinder, I think, has some yeah. some complexity to it as far. Yeah. But people love it. Like that's a system I'd like to try. But it's it is it's it's interesting. You're like, you know what? Let's make it simpler. Yeah. And then more people like it. Yeah. But I think people are like, no, we don't we don't need you to dumb this down for us. Or the, the same breath they're saying, I hate crunch. I love crunch, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I need yeah, some right? of that crunch and yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, like interlock, um, and that's the thing though is interlock. Uh, this version, at least, yeah, is a bit simplified, but a more streamlined. That's what they've said with Red is that they've streamlined parts of it compared to uh, 2020. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, folks, uh, I haven't played 2020. Like uh, this is Red is my kind of my first uh, foray into the cyberpunk TTRPG uh, yeah. series. So uh, unfortunately, I can't say. Oh yes, uh, I have all the experience here. Actually, <laughs> uh, I'm a rookie. So uh, yeah, people listening, I'm a rookie uh, GM. This is my my first time. So yeah. Um, this is this a, your first time GMing? Technically, we we obviously did the well, trial yeah, we, run, we did the little but this will be once. my yeah official. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. So I've yeah, I've just been a player. You know, now I might get stuck as the forever DM, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> such is the curse. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> and we cut now. <laughs> this is going to be. Uh, for those that want to, you know, step into GMing the first time, um, mm-hmm. this Get might to be see the episode. Action. Exactly, and uh, in in that vein, uh, I kind of the rule set we're going to go through isn't actually the core rule book. Um, a few months ago, I think earlier or later last year, uh, they released a quick start ah. version. So not just the jump the jump start kit was kind of like a core rule book light. Right. They, okay. Yeah. They, they, you know, they had some ideas thrown together that they both they you know gave enough that people could actually start homebrewing a little bit and then and at least the homebrewing around the edges, but yeah. actually have a, a rule set that they can agree on and, and play, uh, with uh, you know obviously some lore and, and things like that. Right. But uh, now with the uh, quick start, it, it's, I guess it's meant to be yeah your it's your first time or yeah. hey I just want to try out. Um, Cyberpunk Red. It's free, oh, by the way. Digitally, it's it's free. You can go on to, oh, to nice. yeah, oh, it's a website or drive through RPG, and you can get, pick up the rule set. And it's got uh, yeah, it's it's got um, some lore. It's got a, a pre-gen characters. It's got a basic rule set, and um, it has something called life paths, which lets you basically take those pre-gen characters, and it's meant to just kind of set up your role play. It gives you the foundation of your character, so you can basically take the the pre-gen, so you got you know stats already yeah. done for you for your character archetype, but then 
you can make that character your own by filling out the life path and, and actually going through that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, you don't have to be just, cool. you don't have to just kind of fill in the boots of a character if you want. You know, you, obviously you can do that. Like, hey, I'm gonna go into this role and and and, and you know nail it or. I want to make it my own, or I want to do something a bit different. Or the the GM says, "Hey, uh, let's go be um, Arasaka. Let's go be an Arasaka hit squad." You can take the, those pre, those pre gen stats, and then you can obviously make those characters in, in that context of yeah, rather than just uh, random people off the street. So you, you mentioned that this is free online. Is yes. there like a physical copy of this quick start that you can get? I don't think so. As I put you on the spot, <laughs> Google typing, 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 typing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, I know there's uh, obviously physical uh, editions of the core rule book, right, but yeah. uh, I don't know if there's a physical edition. It's interesting. I wonder, like, because uh, our uh, drive through RPG often kind of, um, uh, they're able, I think they produce some of their physical copies uh, that they sell too, don't right. they? Or I, I think maybe. so, or at least. I don't know. So maybe they could assemble a book for you, perhaps. Or, yeah. Who knows? <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, do, I do prefer a physical copy myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've been go- I've been all digital. Well, <laughs> cyberpunk, it makes sense. I know, right? <laughs> if the boot fits, that's it. It's, there's a theme going on. Here. My only thing is because we're going to be doing a lot of different uh, RPGs. Yeah, I just like, do I really want to spend eighty five dollars on this book? Uh, that we will play it once, and then every time I look at this book, I'm going to want to play it again. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you want to build your library? That's that's that, that's what's going that's on. That's true. It's how I much just, library space do you have? I feel like I got so many other things I want to spend my money on. Right. Too. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah, that's kind of why I went uh, with um, the digital. Is I could throw it on my um, my digital reader and just read it at, at my leisure. So, but nice. at the same time, I'm you know click 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 on my laptop trying to flip through this stuff, and uh, it'd be nice to have a physical copy. So that's alright. I I see I see both sides. Yeah. Well, when um, when when we're making mad money with this pod- podcast, we're going to get sponsored oh, yeah, by Drive Through yeah. RPG. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then they're going to be providing us physical copies. Very so good. Yeah. Right, so that's we'll do reviews for them. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no more playing. Just reviews. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Did, got you off track there. No. No. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much it for the uh, for kind of the the preamble here for mm-hmm. kind of what's behind the game. Uh, yeah. Mike Pondsmith is actually. Uh, if you go on Reddit, you can see uh, he's really much into the community and stuff. He's a oh, pretty, so he's pretty in- interesting guy, and um, it's kind of cool. been a family affair, at least with Red. I don't know about the previous ones, but uh, his son and uh, his wife have been involved in the in the project as well. Oh, so, nice! Yeah. So yeah, it seems like a, a pretty. He, he seems like a pretty cool guy for sure. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. So that's basically the the okay. gist of the rules we're going to go through, and yeah, I think we can start with. Um, Start with the rule set. Yeah. Yeah. How do I play? Yes. <laughs> you don't. In my way. And when I say you don't, is that uh, with with all of us saying that we really haven't experienced, uh, you know, cyberpunk as a, as a TTRPG, um, it's actually very important to get the the atmosphere and then the the lore, the you know, the setting set because mm-hmm. it's. It's a different world than what you've seen, um, even in other cyberpunk uh, genres like uh, you know Blade Runner. And yeah. sorry, folks, you know Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Blade Runner. Is that? Yeah. I'm, uh, Should I get the Blade Runner RPG out? I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> why not, right? Like, I'm not that versed into uh, in the cyberpunk, in the the rest of the cyberpunk world, right? Yeah. So, uh, as far as the genre out there, so it's a good analog. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's alright. So, so it's like a grittier, more adult Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. What does that look like? Is that you're both well, the movie's pretty see. adult? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. 
I mean, the first the first few lines here is the cyberpunk world is a violent, dangerous place filled with people who'd love to rip your arms off and eat them. <laughs> so, so, all right. So very, uh, yeah. But that's what the first page does here. Is it kind of sets the scene and then tells you what it means to be cyberpunk. Okay. Because uh, it not only does. Uh, not only does the rule set, or at least the um, the setting here, try to lay the setting and the world around you that you can play in, but also there's a way to play, or the way that you, as players, want to sit down at the table and think, uh, you know, about your character in this world, and that's being cyberpunk. It's meant to be on the edge and edgy, is, is a, a, you know, some words that it describes. Uh, the world of cyberpunk is a combination of savage, sophisticated, modern, and retrograde. Yeah. Fashion model, beautiful rock bo- rocker boys rub shoulders with battle-armored road warriors on the main streets of the worst town this side of the post-Holocaust oil slick neon giant Night City. Ooh. As a cyberpunk, you grab technology by the throat and you hang on. You're afraid. You're not afraid to zero out, meaning flatline. Right. That's another thing we'll get to. Is that uh, the, the cool part about the setting is that they made their own slang. Yeah. So you know, oh, it, it really that, helps you get into it. You know, get yeah. into it, flavor everything. Yeah, it's really, yeah. it's really cool. So and then, like I said before, my intro to this was Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. There's actually a bit of a difference in the slang in the game versus what's uh, kind of presented in, in the oh. TTRPGs because there is that you know thirty year gap. This right. is set in yeah. uh, the year twenty forty five. Yeah. So there's a gap of of time in between that you know society has developed. Yeah. And so yeah, you might get I might say Gangoon when. Uh, it's actually like, our gangers, and then actually it's booster gangs in uh, 2045 is the year the, the word that people would use. So sorry, folks, if I use the wrong word, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of slang to yeah, get a hold is, of. Yeah. Yeah. So that's okay. We'll forgive you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I guess that means I got to study up on what the actual language is then as a player. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got the rule book. You've been you've been kind of pouring over it, Steve, and, yeah. and getting yourself up and, and setting this 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 kind of thing. Um, how have you been? kind of getting yourself familiar with like slang and things like that. Uh, playing the game actually kind of helped. Um, yeah. And then also running a game and actually uh, actually running that uh, pre, um, I guess that warm-up that, I, that we had. Uh, yeah. With our group, uh, with a group that John and I have been in outside is I did run a half a one-shot before everybody had to leave. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and actually doing the do, I guess, is, as far as really helped solidify the rules like uh, i hadn't read through everything at that point and we got some sort of working game together which was good it's, i think it's better to actually start and, and you know take what you got and start and do something and then work things in as you go kind yeah. Of like, yeah kind of like what we did with fallout <clears throat> right, yeah, where we start yeah. with like the, the the basic of the basic yeah, yeah. and then you it's really easy to add on to that yeah, and that's exactly what I, my plan is to do here. And then, if we need further episodes where you know we bring in actually how to deal with cyberware and uh, cyber psychosis or you know grappling in, in combat, we can have those episodes later. But uh, yeah, let's just get something here you know going is, is the point. And, yeah. and nice. get something for any, anyone to pick up and see what it's like. Just to, if they're going to start their first time, yeah, yeah, probably what they would be looking at. Yeah. Just like the core rules. Absolutely, because I know, like we said before, that this is a system called interlock, whereas D and D has its own system that's different. So yeah. right. it, it helps to have a you know a, a quick start that you can try a new system, uh, you know, fairly fairly simply and easily. Nice. But yeah, so cyberpunk is meant to be the term is I guess low life, high technology. Okay. It's meant okay. to be a place of contrasts. You've got you know you go to one part of the city and it's walled off. Uh, 
high life, you know, people, money out on top of money on top of money, yeah. living the high life, and then, you know, just, you know, a tip over the wall there, you've got slums and people that are, you know, struggling just to stay alive. And then the next neighborhood over, it's a complete war zone. Gangs are own, you know, shootouts every night and fighting for territory and, you know, the police don't go there, that kind of thing. So, yeah. and that's all meant to mix together and, uh, mm-hmm. and have this world that you, you can uh, experience, so... So kind of like a hyper dystopian future. Oh yes, yeah. Like capitalism to the extreme. Yep. Ex- massive gaps in wealth. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, people trying to just navigate the two, trying to survive. Um, yeah. And especially trying to survive in a world that just finished having a world war. It was called the Fourth uh, Corporate War. Here is a world that mm. you know governments, at least as far as the United States, yeah, government basically doesn't exist. It's actually more of a corporation, and then they're actually corporations are acting more as governments because they're mega corporations so that are spanning the world, and they're so powerful that uh, yeah, exactly that wow. they uh, they have more influence than than governments. That's cool. It's funny. Sorry, just uh, not to go on a tangent, but that's very similar to Alien in a sense, right? Where there are basically the big three, and two of those are exactly that corporations, right? You know, warring and, and that kind of thing, and then there's one representative of the the existing nations, right? Kind of thing. So that's that's interesting that it's that you know so many people are predicting in the future it's going to yeah. be, you know, that, that, that uh, capitalism takes over. I that's guess. it. Yeah. The worst parts of capitalism take over. <laughs> Where do you come from, Rexall Land? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're over here at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> Walmartia. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so you've got all that going on the the setting and but then. Like I was saying uh, before, the attitude of a cyberpunk is also something that the GM and the the players need to um, consider. So you want to, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to play this way, but you if your character is going to be cyberpunk, they're going to have looking at style over substance. That's rule number one. There's actually three, three rules here. And it doesn't matter how well you do something as long as you look good doing it. Nice. If you're going to blow it, make sure you look like you planned it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, clothes... And looks don't matter in an adventure, but in this world, yes, they do. They, they there's that, and there are stats to to represent that when we get to our character sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, attitude is everything. Is rule number two. Uh, think dangerous, be dangerous. Think weak, be weak. Remember, everyone in the two thousands carries a lot of lethal hardware, so basically everybody's armed. Wow. Or if you, they're not armed, their um, their bodyguards are very close by and very armed. Yeah. Each character in this world is playing a role, a face that, pers- that that person projects to the outside world as the real thing. They won't be impressed by your new Militech smart gun unless you swagger into the club looking like you know how to use it. <laughs> Never walk into a room when you can stride in. Never look at someone unless you can make it your best killer look. Use your best I'm bad and you aren't smile. Don't sit around the flat or cube waiting for the next job. Get on out and hit the clubs and hangouts. Make sure you're where the party's at. And as I'm reading this out, you definitely do want to go through and read this because the writers of the of these books and, and the core rule book, um, they've got the flavor built in, yeah. like using terms as like cube and the flat, and um, it's all built into the. Uh, so I'd even recommend players, you know, go through some of the flavor text just to to get in and, and understand the world that that they're playing in here because it's it's different. It's different than a fantasy or even a sci-fi. It's got it's definitely got its own. Uh, its own personality. It sounds very immersive. Yes. Compared oh, to yes. some of the other yeah. games. And that's kind of what 
what's drawn me to this is that not only do you have the immersion here that there's lots of they, they built the world really well Mike Ponce built the world really well that it, there seems to be a lot of potential for telling stories yeah in, in it like, very, very interesting but we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a bit here anyway rule three live on the edge the edge is that nebulous zone where risk takers and high rollers go on the edge you risk your cash your rep even your life on something as vague as a principle or a big score as a cyberpunk Here's where digital sucks. <laughs> you want to be in the action. Start the rebellion. Light the fire. Join great causes and fight for big issues. Never drive slow when you can drive fast. Throw yourself up against danger and take it head on. Never play it too safe. Stay committed to the edge. So, yeah, there's that that idea that being a cyberpunk is different than just uh, being an adventurer. Yeah. And, yeah... Uh, it's supposed to fit into something called the dark future. Okay. And that's where red Cyberpunk Red takes place. Why do they call it Cyberpunk Red? Um, the, like I said, there was a, a, a fourth corporate war that's happened, yeah. and someone happened to light a nuke at the center of the, of the city. Oh, my God. And so <laughs> not only are you able to drop nukes and was a nuclear war going on, but also there were um, orbital strikes, as in big pieces of rock were launched from you know orbit down to, to you know, take out enemies of different corporations. So with all this dust and particulate matter in the air, uh, at this point in, uh, you know, at this point in time, the sky is always red. It's got Ooh. a red pall just surrounding the globe. So that's nice. why they, they called it, they called it red, or at least then that's why the people in game will call it the time of the red. So yeah, we'll, uh, let's take a look at the setting of what has happened in the world of cyberpunk. Uh, so imagine, uh, kind of like Fallout, where the you know that was like the 1930s and the normal timeline split into the Fallout uh, timeline here, uh, 1980s, mm-hmm. 1970s, you know, beginning of the 80s, and things have split off from there. So, <laughs> at the end of the 1980s, it was evident that the states were in trouble, and this is set uh, primarily in, in the states. But like all uh, good, good TTRPGs. You could homebrew your own uh, different city, right? Your different location. You could take this to Japan or, you know, you want to see what happens in the UK at uh, the end of the... You know, it's up to your imagination. Mm. Yeah, uh, most social norms had dissolved under an all-engulfing wave of competing special interest groups, media-fueled fads, and an overall me-first worldview. By, By the end of 1994, the number of homeless in the streets had skyrocketed to 21 million. The technical revolution had f- further torn the economy apart, creating two radically divergent classes, a wealthy, technically oriented, materially acquisitive group of corporate professionals, and a down class of homeless, unskilled, blue-collar workers. The middle class was nearly eradicated. It was the dismal beginning that led to the American landscape of the 2000s. Here are just a few major trends that lead to the collapse of the uh, American nation. <clears throat> Basically, urban collapse, uh, corrupt and ineffective government, the rise of the free states. So individual states decided that they didn't want to play with the government because the government at that point had become uh, what they call the Gang of Four, whereas the the CIA, the the DEA, the FBI, and the NSA had all kind of colluded to run psyops and uh, rule and have basically mobster rule over... Mm -hmm. Over America. Right. And once people kind of found that out, individual states started uh, separating and basically becoming city-states of their own. Okay. Or even uh, almost like sovereign states of their own as well. 
and then there was the new Rust Bowl. Um, I'm not familiar what the old Rust Bowl was, but I'm assuming something about the uh, I think it was, the Great Depression. I know the Dust Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, it is very much the, the Great Depression. It was a massive drought. Right. Uh, there was like, yeah, lots of famine, things like that. So, and so yeah, I, I guess that's something that uh, Mike had, had imagined for, for this time as well, unprepared yeah. to deal with the effects of worldwide global warming. Vast areas of the Northern Hemisphere began to suffer unending years of back-to-back drought. Throughout the Midwestern states, many small towns were abandoned as local farms, businesses, and banks collapsed in the wake of drought, famine, and economic chaos. What what farms that survived were eventually bought by huge agri-corporations and were maintained with corporate-controlled wells, hired workers, machine labor, and well-equipped guards. (laughs) Midwest urban zones also suffered during the time, not from drought, but from a collapse of manufacturing jobs and industries fleeing the country for cheaper labor in Asia and Africa. Unchecked corporate mergers and acquisitions destabilized the entire areas of, po- of production, especially as well-heeled investors bought successful companies, then pillaged their assets and sold the dried husks at pennies on the dollar to finance their debts. And then plagues hit as well. Uh, an overly already overtaxed medical system found itself inundated with a series of plagues that swept the planet, aided by easy and rapid transportation between countries, densely packed urban zones, and a willful tendency for the broken governments of the period to ignore or downplay the effects of medical emergencies, the hot zones spread like fusion-fed explosions, devastating entire continents. There was a wasting plague in 1999, a horrible infection that attacked the intestines of its victims and made them starve to death no matter how much food they ate. And it tore across Europe and landed in the U.S. Yeah, (laughs) they call it the dark fusion, the dark future for a reason. (laughs) It's dark. Oh, parts yeah. of it don't seem too far off. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. How about the rise of cybernetics? That's that's there we that's go. Hooray! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, the shiny beacon of hope. There we go. <laughs> Humanity had well, <laughs> Humanity had always pushed back against its limits. Poor eyesight, get glasses. Hearing failing or poor, get a cochlear implant. Hip going out, replace it with a steel one. But by the 20th century, the explosive levels of achievements in cybernetics from cyber equals machine plus genetics equals control. Um, so yeah, he he tries to um, differentiate between um, cybernetics and uh, robotics or um, cyberware. Ah, okay. Yeah. So he tries to kind of make it a little bit more technical, not much, just more for for flavor and and, yeah. um, and understanding. Uh, so now it's become poor eyesight. Replace those meat eyes with cyber optics that can see for miles in the dark and maybe even shoot lasers like a superhero. <laughs> Hearing failing or poor, time to level up to an enhanced, enhanced audio suite that can hear sounds that only dogs or whales can hear. Hip going out, replace your entire skeleton with unbreakable, never wearing out steel. It's a new age and you can become part of it by endlessly improving yourself. But this brave new world backfired. Corporations and governments began to employ cybernetically enhanced warriors to patrol the streets and fight their wars. People with cybernetic enhancements found themselves becoming impatient with the unenhanced and their, to the cybered up, painfully slow pace. Cybernetic speed also allowed the rate of change or engagement with the rush of the shifting world of endless information to move still faster, leading to greater levels of techno-shock, which we'll get to, in society. People began to show signs of psychotic breaks, eventually culminating in a plague of cybernetically driven murderous rampages called cyberpsychosis. And so one more log was added to an inferno consuming the society of the 20th century. And then war on top of that. So what he's trying to describe here is that basically the, the stuff I think that we 
we're de- dealing with in the, in the 80s and even even now yeah. are rather than accelerating at the pace we're at now are actually exploding in acceleration uh, and becoming crazy until the whole world just kind of went but yeah <laughs> and that's where they stick you in the game you have to you have to deal with the after effect and uh, what it's like to live what it would be like to live and survive in a mm-hmm. in a world so he's trying to create a world where it's yeah not about living and just getting by it's about surviving and mm-hmm. you know hopefully getting your next meal or even yeah, helping what close family you have. Yeah. You're not out there to save the world like you would say maybe in D&D. Yeah. You're here just to be a, one cog in the machine trying to survive. And even um, Interesting. Even amongst your team. Yeah. The team, uh, the team is a big part of, obviously, of tabletop games and in this game specifically, but characters are kind of built and meant to think individually. Yeah. Um, as the GM, you're supposed to give a hook that and a reason that the characters are actually need to be in a team and together. Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, like, you know, Arasaka Hit Squad. You're enslaved to the corporation, basically. You've got no choice but to be here. Yeah. Or, you know, you're all in the same uh, conapt, and so you all got to pay rent, and so to kind of protect your, uh, you know, your same interests, you're, you're, you know, you're doing jobs together. Yeah. Um, things like that. But players really don't need to be... Uh, you know, they can be the lone wolf, and you might be able to see that these uh, individual characters can actually be pretty strong by themselves. But interesting, yeah. So it, it the mechanics are kind of feed into the into the lore and into the setting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I was kind of leading into techno shock. Um, mm-hmm. When technology change outstrips people's ability to comprehend or fit into their lives, it creates techno shock. One major one of the major contributors to the social chaos that brought about the collapse of the pre cyberpunk world. Technoshock always starts small. A useful gadget or tool here, a new and very directed communications method there, information systems that allow governments and megacorps to watch and track you with surveillance or targeted advertising that delivers what you want when you don't even know what you want it. Um, Instagram. Google? (laughs) Are they listening now? Yes, they are. Uh, and uh, you know you didn't even know you wanted it, but for your own good, obviously. Yeah. Machines that adjust your sense of time and place to fit their needs, and all of it happening faster and faster, so that your mind is unable to process the changes and how it's affected. The younger you are, the easier it is for you to deal with the accelerating change. You're used to it because you were born into it. Yeah. But sooner or later, even the kids can't keep up. Suddenly, people freak out. They get irrational, violent. Families shatter. Relationships tear apart. People feel helpless in the face of the universe. Eventually, the whole society grinds to a halt, the victim of a mass psychosis. The vast majority of people, their lives uprooted and changed by the advancements, sat passively waiting for their leaders to tell them what to do next. Megacorps provided a neo-feudal alternative to the new and incomprehensible reality. One small group tried to turn back the pace, but founded by founding the anti-technology neo-Luddite movement. (laughs) Still, others decided to immerse themselves in the technological change. They coped by adding machines to themselves, enhancing their abilities and perceptions to allow themselves to catch up to the dizzying pace of the new. They earned themselves the nickname of edge runners or cyberpunks. Mm. So, generally, yeah, you'll hear uh, people uh, mercs being called edge runners, and that, that's a pretty common term in this setting, which is where you get the show from. The, right, uh, yeah. the anime was was uh, named after that. But uh, yeah, like you're saying, wow, that uh, they, I found that Mike does a really good job of. Um, of taking the psychological or even the yeah. ph- philosophy of of uh, how to think about these world events and the, the, the events that he created, not like they're actually happening, yeah. right? but the events that he created and then he adds it in like uh, 
if in another episode when we get to cyberpsychosis, that's really put on display. It's how to think about cyberpsychosis and uh, that it's it's and he describes it as a form of um, not, not just a mental break, but like a, a disassociation of, of yourself. Yeah. So mm. and then so he, he brings those psychological terms into it, and it really helps, I think, to help uh, the player and then the GM obviously to play the character starting to maybe they push themselves over the edge and and you know start to get into the realm of cyberpsychosis it's pretty cool so not only is that in you know obviously something that's called cyberpsychosis kind of yeah. on the nose there but yeah it's into the, the whole uh, he takes that same approach to, to everything here which is pretty pretty cool to in, immerse you into it well imagine like there's a lot of avenues to rp here like at first <sighs> the way you were describing it steve i was like oh like it'd be interesting because it feels like just about every character is kind of this nihilistic kind of selfish 100% character, right? <laughs> and so I was like, oh, geez, that could be... Imagine a group of those folks rubbing elbows. That would be tough yeah. kind of thing. But it's neat because then you're like, there's things that they still love. There's things that yeah. they still want. There's still uh -huh. motivations yeah, for absolutely. them. And so, um, you know, to you just have to work harder to figure what that is. Yeah. And, they, and they maybe hold on to that hope even more so in the light of such adversity and tragedy right. around them. So that could be really interesting. In fact, it, I'm sure it is. Right. Really interesting gameplay for that. Absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, one group might be, they're together doing that because they won't eat tomorrow if they don't, yeah. you know, go take the suicide mission on. Or uh, your implants are going to get shut off as a, you know, a corpo assassin and you're going to just be kicked out on the street with nothing. Nothing of, of you works anymore because that's all company property. They've stripped it of you yeah. and they've kicked you out on the street. Or they've, you know, straight up just shot you in the head. <laughs> so... Yeah, like there's there's so much in this world that you could it, very bleak. Yeah, <laughs> you know this isn't uh, um, you know that the hope that you said is there is very small and very personal. Yeah, and uh, protected. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, not so grand. It can be you can uh, maybe have your characters in a, a grand conspiracy, but that grand conspiracy is not concerned with you. You're just a cog or a player, a bit player in it. Yeah, yeah, and it moves on. So it, it really, I find, um, it creates a lot of mystery. You know, magic exists in, in other systems where because it's not described until you, you know, you get to the point where the the magician, you know, reveals his trick, and it's like, oh, okay, great, yeah. right? But whereas uh, this, yeah, it, it's meant to build a world that's moving over top of, like you know, steamrolling players, yeah. but also moving around and and doing things that the, the players just have to kind of sit there and go, uh, I don't know what to do here. Or like, uh, what do I do next? So, yeah, yeah it's, um, and that's, pr I'm pretty sure that's uh, one of the reasons that Mike sets all this up is that yeah. it creates a world around your, your, your players that uh, is moving and, and, and alive. Yeah. Nice. And so, yeah, the ne next page here, he goes through um, just kind of a timeline from 1990 up to uh, the current year of uh, 2045. Right. And I guess the... Big things that have happened. Yeah, the free states, like we mentioned before. There was a bunch of conflicts and uh, wars, mini wars and, and between um, the corporations, but specifically the two big players called Arasaka, which is a Japanese uh, mega corporation, and Militech, which is the uh, U.S. Yeah. Um, arms dealer um, and arms company. And then basically Militech has kind of co-opted the government the, of, of the U.S., you know, as much as that is. Uh, so basically... Uh, the president of uh, Militech has been the president of the United States, or what's left of it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so um, Night City. Mm -hmm. That's it's a it's a fictional city, but where the the primary setting for um, for this game is. Uh, it was founded in uh, 
uh, I think in 1994 okay. by a gentleman by the name of Richard Knight, and then he wanted it to be this. Um, it was a space, I think, in between. Um, the, this, the, it's in California. I think it's between San Francisco and LA. Okay. Um, and it's meant to be. It was meant to be this, you know, very up hopeful, lift, uplifting new uh, new city. And then mm-hmm. the Richard Knight gets assassinated, and then it just the city doesn't go to hell, but the city becomes hell. Wow. It actually grows and keeps on, you know, building rapidly. By 2020, it says Night City had a rapidly growing uh, urban region, still rife with violence and crime. So that's always been the yeah the theme of, of Night City. Nice, but strong economic growth. So it, it built and mega corporations moved in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the quintessential city of the cyberpunk future. It fell near ruin in the fourth corporate war, which I guess happened kind of in 2022. 2023 is when the, uh, the so this year, uh, yeah, the beginning of the time of the red happened. The atmospheric particles uh, from the nuclear blast in Night City made, uh, made the, the red pall. So, like, if it's raining at night, acid rain, that rain is red and uh, blood red. If uh, the, the sun that comes up, if you can see it, is blood red, and the yeah. sun, the sun sets. And so, what's <laughs> <laughs> that do to your your psychosis? Absolutely, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, not of people's, you know, minds, uh, you know, absolutely wrecked by life in general. Yeah, you got this red. Uh, <laughs> Everything's cast in red. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Over, over top. So, and, you know, you're walking through the neon lights that are blaring red in your face, and you got the red. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, setting nice um one thing that hasn't been mentioned is the net Mm. um the way the internet what it became is that it would eventually became uh obviously an interconnected um, network but it became something that you could kind of imagine yourself uh, physically people would wear they're called the virtuality goggles Mm -hmm. and you could uh, project some sort of your consciousness um into into the uh, the net yeah um, so it became kind of a place that um, it, it's yeah it's not just uh, I mean I'm trying to describe it here coming from someone who is in IT and so yeah me, I'm sitting there in front of a, a terminal you know just typing away text I, I understand what the way the how the internet works now but uh, I guess most most people don't so or a lot of people won't so it's, it's kind of hard for me to to say hey it's not just text anymore you can actually virtually enter the net and actually affect the world around you as if it is something yeah. uh, physical but it's, it's digital as well and, it, and so yeah kind of let your mind uh, wander along those paths like Tron yeah, yeah. kind of <laughs> <laughs> I could plug in and turn the TV on and off with my mind or open a, a locked door with like Abs- absolutely ah, jumping but, um, into it right you yeah but it's, it's uh, your virtual um, self so obviously you've got um your brain obviously is your computer. You're able to actually directly hook up your brain to, to the net, mm-hmm. but um, matrix style. Yeah, matrix ah. style, and then you're able to visualize. That's what the virtuality goggles are. You're able to visualize the net and, yeah. and your actions in it. Uh, but yeah, unlike Tron, it's not you're actually completely in. Yeah, in, in the net. So that, that's that's where the difference kind of. Right. Uh, so yeah, we were kind of talking about the net and the quick start guide. Um, doesn't really cover the net. It describes uh, what happens in the net because some actual some significant things happened uh, regarding the net in in the timeline. But mm-hmm. I'll, I'm going to dive into the uh, core rule book here just to describe what the net is like so that we can understand. Awesome. And if you decide to play a netrunner, that's kind of something that uh, you'll have to have the core rule book for. But mm-hmm. uh, here's kind of the description of, of netrunning. 
You patch in the last connection, making sure your wrist plugs are tight. You slam down the go switch in your mind. Instantly, your conscious is filled with the gray-white static of the drop two online. Then, with a sickening, falling sensation, you hurtle towards a maze of shifting neon shapes and spinning grid lines. So, kind of like you were doing Tron. <laughs> Except, it used to work that way. Yeah. Now, you slip on your virtuality goggles, mentally punch in the code, and shift seamlessly into net space. And it looks just like it did in meat space. Mm. Meat space being where we physically are. Yeah. Except that now there's a strange meta universe superimposed over that everyday vision filled with shapes, patterns, and unearthly digital creatures. Welcome to the net in the time of the red. The core net infrastructure got wrecked during the war. Mm. That included both landlines and sea cables, which were the main forms of communication of communication links. The remaining net was infested by all kinds of black ice from the war, uh, meaning uh, those are like programs that will actually physically hunt out uh, net runners. Net runners, yeah. Exactly. Wow. The worst were the rabbits. Deadly AI constructs that hunted and killed anyone they encountered in the net. Finally, Netwatch, which is uh, a government, um, not a government support, but a government-funded group that basically have been trying to manage the net in, in the sense that there are AI in this world that are basically trying to take over or yeah. they have no concept of, of humanity. Yeah. So they are trying to make the net usable while... You know, not only just protecting from actual net runners, but uh, or at least fighting against net runners. Yeah, um, there's very much that hacker ethos in, in built into this, which is pretty cool. Oh, but um, and then yeah, also trying to wall off the well, that's something in uh, 2077. But yeah, deal with the the AI right out there. Yeah, but yeah, so Netwatch finally gave up and shut down the net infrastructure. Computers remained linked, but only through dedicated landline and laser lines. So what that means is, is that. Net, Night City might have a net, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stretch anywhere beyond uh, the city itself. Okay. Each neighborhood, and even little neighborhoods within the, the larger neighborhoods, would have um, what are called data pools. So, <laughs> a sneaker net was a term back in the, the you know before we actually had the internet, where you know you wanted to give someone some some data, you load it on a floppy disk, and you'd actually walk it over sneaker net to your, your friend <laughs> hand him the floppy disk and you can, well data pools kind of worked like that to get information from the outside of it of the data pool people yeah. would come in c- connect their agent which is basically a cell phone yeah. uh, to the data pool get the information there or pass data uh, information into the data pool so think of um, the internet now as basically l- networks that are just local to each neighborhood or maybe even uh, each uh, apartment building so as a net runner you're you can't sit you know back safe in your uh, you know your apartment and you know running the nets and go you know you're you're running the net to Japan kind of thing and and hacking Japan no you're you're sitting and you actually then got to get up go to the the network you want to you know deal with and then you got to jack in ooh to that net so you, you as a net runner uh, in this game you've got a risk of you yeah, got to be in a firefight exactly you can when you do uh, jack in and you got your goggles on and you're net running yeah, that's another set of uh, events that can happen during your turn. Yeah, so there is a bit of a, a special rule set just for net runners. Oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, we'll hopefully uh, get to that uh, at a later point. But let's get into some rules because sure. Yeah, now that we know what the world's like. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> How do I play in it? Nice. Well, uh, I guess sorry. What are you playing in? I just want to kind of sorry go back to Night City a bit. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. Like I said before. Uh, 
you got that hot zone at the center of the city where a nuclear bomb had gone off during the Fourth Corporate War, and, and Night City is trying to rebuild itself mm-hmm. from that. So you've got the central part of the city. You got downtown. That's a nuclear wasteland. You actually can't go there without taking damage. Yeah, um, and and taking damage is if you're on fire. Wow. So as a GM, that's that's how you're you're uh, you're dealing with uh, with that. And then there are other zones where uh, you got the urban uh, the sub the suburbs that are just overloaded with people. Yeah. Then you got places called uh, combat zones. Mm. And like I was saying before, uh, uh, before combat zones are places where are overrun by gangs. You might live in the combat zone if you're you know stuck if you're not part of the gang, but you're probably not going to last very long if yeah. at all. Or, as a, an edge runner, you might be going in on a mission to the combat zone to make make some money, but but it's it's basically <laughs> hell on earth. Yeah. You know, you know, suicide mission. Suicide yeah. mission. Yeah, you got yeah. different <laughs> gangs, gangs that are there's a gang. There's a gang called um, anyway, you got you got a gang that <laughs> their focus is just on becoming uh, the machine. Ah. They're they Borg out. They've got uh, they're they're dipping into cyber psychosis. They got so much uh, cyberware on, and then they're Yep, they're gonna hunt you down and kill you if you go onto their turf, kind of yeah. thing. So, and they're fighting it out with other gangs, and the police, like I said, yeah, don't go go in there very often. So, wow, resistance um, is futile. Exactly. <laughs> then you got other places. You got the executive zone where it's just uh, corporations and uh, the rich. Yeah. And so you got different sections of the city that you can um, you can you know base your your world on. But with the world, with the rest of the world, and not only the city, but the rest of the world, kind of being in a very desolate state, how do things get moved around? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are groups of people out in the uh, outside the city uh, called nomads, mm-hmm. and their speciality is uh, moving goods. Ooh, so okay. basically, <clears throat> there are factories uh, filled, you know, of the latest agent. No, nothing's actually getting made right now because factories are down, and there's no workers to actually. There's no organization and, and companies to actually run the factories, but right. you know there's stockpiles everywhere that these nomads are running, running supplies, running food, get, uh, cyberware, guns, everything to different you know parts of the world, different parts oh, of the okay. city, in and out of uh, of Night City and into different parts in the uh, surrounding area. So, Whoa, that's cool. A no, and a nomad is a character class you can play, so you can incorporate that into your team. Or, um, and then fixers are another group that kind of help. Organized, not organized, but work with the nomads to get goods within their sphere of influence. Right. At, you know, in and out, and so there's a kind of a it's almost a black market, but it's a de- I guess a maybe a desperate market of yeah of of, of things going on. So at the in the time of the red, there's actually not many stores that you can go to. Like you can't go to Walmart and buy a gun yeah. kind of thing. Um, you might there might be a, a bodega in your apartment building. Yeah. But they're just you know for you know cheap food and, and things like that. But um, they're called night markets. Yeah, and that's where you go and get your cyberware and you get your big guns and stuff like that. So yeah, and they're they're meant to be just a temporary stall. You know, look out look out for the police or the gangs that are, might come in and uh, and hunt you down because things are desperate, right? Yeah, anybody's looking for food, they're gonna go after an easy target, and so your characters might go there one day, it's there, and then another day, it's not. So wow. that's that's another thing. Unfortunately, that the uh, quick start doesn't get to, but that's cool. Uh, it's, yeah. it's it's in the core rulebook that we'll have to go over at some point. Like that idea, yeah. That, um, you know, again, in like D and D, you just oh, oh, I, I find a blacksmith exactly. shop and I purchase my armor. You know, that's like now it's a whole thing just to find the shop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 You better hope that you know you got an invite too. Yeah, you can't just oh. walk in, and because the fixture that's running that that local night uh, market, 
you know, might say, hey, uh, hey, yeah, I know this night market, I can hook you up. Or, you know, as you get up to higher levels, uh, you know, and as your fixer, or that either in your team or the fixer that you know has more influence, there can be more uh, exclusive called midnight markets. Oh. And that's where you get the, the real exotic stuff. So oh, that, that, like oh, basically cool. the, the hush-hush, yeah. invite-only kind of thing. <laughs> so. so a fixer's kind of like a traveling merchant for your group. Uh, a fixer, no, not even a merchant, but um, a fixer is going to make connections. Uh. A fixer is going to, um, a client's going to come to them and say, I need this done. I'll pay this much. And a fixer's job is to get, uh, you know, get a crew together and, uh, or find some sort of crew to get that job done. They're meant to make connections between different parties. Okay. So it could be, a fixer could be in your own party that he's out there getting jobs for you or hooking up you at the night market. And they actually might have their own severe, they might even have their own night market that they that they organize and actually there's some uh, influence and, and things that the actual fixer class itself has that can grow as you get higher levels and you oh, can cool. actually have access to uh, cooler and cooler gear or um, you your group has to work for a fixer yeah. because um, you need jobs right so you'll talk to your fixer fixer will get you a job and then um, you'll go on to the next one the next one etc or your fixer hooks you up with uh, a night market so yeah it's not not just a merchant but they're they're uh, connections cool yeah. okay that's cool. Yeah, Indeed. that's another thing of this game is that if, if you ever wanted to play a merchant, well, you kind of can, but this is not just any merchant. It's a badass merchant, and you, yeah. can, you can actually play it as and be part of a, a team, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And that's where the other thing uh, I, was, I like with this game is it's not just the environment that you're in that can uh, propel storytelling. Yeah. Um, you could kind of... There are classes that match kind of all levels of the society like there's an executive class where you are a manager at that you know at a, at a certain level in this corporation that you can play as and a net runner and a nomad so you could be someone that brings your uh, either brings transportation to your to your team or you're getting supplies in or getting supplies out kind of thing so oh, that's cool yeah there's lots in here for um mm-hmm. for storytelling but yeah rules where well we're getting to rules right <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, the all-important dice. Mm. This system uses uh, 1d10 per uh, player and then a bunch of d6s. Okay. So it's the only two, two kind of dice you need. All right. And so stats. We can get into stats because this game has a lot of stats. Oh, yeah. Quite the full character sheet. <laughs> it is. Um, we, yeah, we got... You know, Standard uh, letter paper here, and uh, our character sheets are printed sideways, you know, landscape on these. Um, And, yeah, stats take up the full page. Um, And before I kind of start listing these out, uh, stats in this game are a good opportunity to, as players, to talk to your DM. Mm. Um, Because the DM, and then, and vice versa, the DM could look at, you could fill out all these stats, you know, for whatever character you are, and then the DM could obviously take the character sheets and say, Oh look! Um, I've got a char- uh, one of my players specced in um, dance. How can I include that in my game? Or vice versa, the players can say, uh, "DM, I really want to um, spec into uh, photography and film Ooh. as a media." Um, and the DM can say, "Ah, uh, you know, great. Yeah, I can include that." Or even, uh, "DM, what what kind of things are going to be in our uh, campaign? Like, <laughs> do I need to throw points into composition?" <laughs> <laughs> then the DM could say, ah, uh, uh, yes, <laughs> right. So there are a lot. Uh, the I think uh, 
the designers meant to um, really include a lot and kind of cover at least have, give you something to roll in you know whatever you might face. But yeah. it's up to the players and the GM to um, to figure out uh, yeah if some stats are needed or others might not be. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are um, skills and then there are stats. Okay. So I was using stats kind of generically, but uh, specifically stats are um, your main uh, group of um, statistics and then you, mm-hmm. your skills are based out of those stats. So kind of like D&D where you've got strength, uh, intelligence, um, uh, con, and then you know charisma and uh, wisdom. Right. In this game, you've got intelligence, reflex, Ooh. dexterity, huh. tech... Cool. So, you know, that cyberpunk, you know, swagger and all that is built right into your stats. <laughs> uh, cool is not only, um, cool is also staying cool under pressure. As right. Well. Kind okay. of. Um, we, 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 yeah, we had that a bit in um, Monster of the Week, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That, that kind pressure, of. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, then you've got will, mm. uh, luck. Uh, so, luck kind of works in the same or similar way as Fallout did. Okay. You can okay. Uh, you can burn luck points to um, get uh, a, I'm not sure if it's advantage or some benefit on on a die on a die roll. Okay. okay. Um, then your movement is going to be how much you can move per turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, your body stat is um, going to be not only your strength but your uh, your health and uh, ability to use we- uh, certain weapons. And then EMP stands for empathy. Hmm. And your empathy. Uh, stat will uh, work with your um, humanity stat and basically there are skills that um, are uh, governed by your empathy stat mm-hmm. but empathy and humanity really work into cyber psychosis um, as I um, install more uh, cyberware into myself my empathy and my humanity decrease uh, based on uh, what cyberware uh, some have a greater um, uh, empathy loss yeah. and humanity loss and some have less. Okay. Wow. And so, and like, yeah, um, some of those were pretty uh, self-explanatory, like intelligence, you know, how bright and clever you and aware you are. Reflexes are your response time and coordination used for ranged weapons. So, mm-hmm. um, in other games, you know, you could have a dex build and your dexterity would uh, determine your ability with uh, certain weapons. Not the case in, in, in uh, Cyberpunk. Mm. Um, your dexterity is more your athletics. Right. And brawling, uh, whereas reflexes are anything that's not uh, a melee weapon. Almost like gross and fine motor skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> tech, which I said before, is not uh, you know, your ability to use technology. It's technique. Ah. Your ability to manipulate tools and instruments. Oh, okay. cool. Okay. And yeah, cool is your ability to impress and influence <clears throat> others. Um, so cool is going to be a, a, the stat that a rocker boy... Uh, which is the rocker boys are basically they're the uh, they're the singers they're the artists they're the rage against the machine <laughs> type, uh, okay. type people so yeah um, and your will is your determination uh, courage and ability to, to keep going in the face of adversity so that might play into the uh, you know crappy yeah. situation that you find yourself in <laughs> so um, oh you're probably gonna get to this sorry I don't no go for it but I was just thinking like because um, I'm I'm thinking about like that and there's holy crap there are a ton of skills like mm. that is incredible how um, how many they they're able to kind of like uh, break down for you here? Yes, but I was I was just thinking like okay, so we got a D ten and then a bunch of D sixes. I'm trying to think like okay, would the D ten sort of be like 
Uh, and, and you're probably going to go over this. So maybe I'll just let you go over this. No, of course. But I was just trying to puzzle it out a little bit. I was guessing like um, D10 to maybe determine success and then D6's outcome kind of idea. Uh, it, it can be, yeah. Uh, so uh, your D10 is, yeah, like it's like you'd use your D20 in D&D. Yeah. Um, so you, you have your stats plus your skill and you're rolling a D10. Right. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, the, the D6s are going to be, like, for your damage. Right. Um, and, for uh, like, there are other rules that you'd roll your D6s, but uh, generally that D10 is, is what you'd use for, for making stats, uh, oh, okay. stat-based rules. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we'll go through the individual skills. Okay. Um, there's a lot. Because yeah. there's a lot. Um, it's like lip reading. Like, that's so cool. Yeah, when you resist torture. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, resist torture could be a, a big thing in your... Yeah. Um, in your campaign, you know, you could have been, you know, yoinked off the, you know, defeated and yoinked off the street in your job, and now you're being tortured by a corporation mm. that you were, uh, you know, stealing stuff from. Right. So, yeah, uh, it, or, you, you know, you got your drink spiked, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, you're dealing with that. So, yeah, the, uh, these things can play in. Oh, yeah. Um, but there are certain uh, stats that are going to play in more often than not. Yeah. And some of them, like, yeah, like, uh, and then they are highlighted, actually, in... Uh, the, on the character sheet, for mm-hmm. example, concentration uh, under awareness skills and perception. Mm-hmm. Concentration is governed by will, but uh, perception is governed by int, and those are highlighted. So you'll probably use those more for main rules compared to tracking or lip reading. Yeah. Or conceal, reveal object. Right. And that's going to work with uh, you know athletics and stealth, which are highlighted, versus dance and endurance. Yeah. You know those the dance and endurance might come in. But stealth and athletics are definitely going to be major roles that you're going to be rolling. So, yeah, GM, it's up to you how you uh, want to play those. And uh, in the uh, the book here, it kind of gives a little blurb of uh, what each skill is for. Yeah. And certain skills are going to be important per class, right? Like the cool mm-hmm. stat and then the skills that uh, are governed by cool like uh, are going to be more important for a media and a rocker boy. Yeah. A media being, a, you know, think about someone, an on-site reporter, but you're not just the reporter, you're the whole newsroom, because either you sell yourself out to a corporation, in which case uh, you really don't need to do much anyway, because it's all propaganda, that, that toe the company line, there's not going to be much, but you want, if you want to step out of that, you're your own press, you know, uh, release, you're getting the, the word out, you're, you know, on, on the beats, uh, you know, getting interviews, and then you're releasing the, your, your stories and stuff, so you're your whole newsroom and yourself, so... Wow. Hmm. Well, so as as a DM, yeah. let's look at it from the DM perspective sure. here. So as you um, are creating your world, as you're world building, what are some of the things you really need to, to keep present in your mind when you are starting to set the scene beyond the atmosphere that you've established already? Like what are when you're starting into the game as mm-hmm. a DM, what are you really um, working toward? Like what do you what do you need to prepare yourself for? I guess. Um. Mechanically or... Uh... Yeah, I guess. I should get more specific. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, you know, we, we talked about kind of Monster of the Week uh, in a way and, and it's night and day. Right. But I mean, Monster of the Week, you they, they provide a lot of things to, to hold on to as a DM mm-hmm. or as a GM um, or keeper, I guess it's in that. Keeper, yeah. Yeah, but, but you're essentially, you're like, okay, I'm going to break the story beat down into like five segments. I'm going to... I know that my monster needs to have a weakness of some sort. I right. know that there's probably minions. 
and so forth and so forth. So it gives you kind of a pretty good roadmap. Does it does it provide you a lot of that in this as well? Uh, yes. Ah. And no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, story beat. That's exactly uh, the, the term actually Mike Pondsmith used. Ah. They, what they, in, the, in the rule book, um, they give you uh, basically a framework yeah. okay. to uh, then yeah make your missions out of. So story beat um, is, is that you want, you want to create story beats that yeah. uh, your characters, uh, your team that you're, you're running through uh, hit. Yeah. So each story beat should have a hook, mm-hmm. have some development, a cliffhanger, more development, a climax... And then a resolution. Nice. So, okay. and then uh, different things can happen depending on. Uh, but he likes to give a framework rather than specifics, yeah. so that you can then take this and you basically run your your team through different beats, you know, as missions themselves. So they might the beat might take up a, a session, yeah, or so, and then um, you can link all those together into a greater arc. You know, it's it's up to you as the GM. Yeah, but. Um, as far as and that, well, I was thinking mechanically is maybe uh, what you're rolling against, what you have to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, this game kind of works like Fallout, where you've got mo- lots of your rolls are against a DV, a difficulty value. Okay. So you you know you've got your beats in mind. You you know what your um, you know what your character is going to go through. You've got them hooked. Yeah. And yeah, so you've got some rolls that uh, a character needs to make. You know? mm. Um, you know, they're trying to sneak past somebody and they got to make a stealth roll. Mm-hmm. So as you as the DM, you decide what the difficulty value is for that character. Um, and there is a table here that um, they, they basically break things down as their difficulty in that, you know, everyday versus difficult versus professional versus heroic versus incredible. Mm. So and you can kind of, in your mind, uh, think that uh, what those things might be and kind of compare the thing. If I'm trying to sneak my way past... Um, you know, a guard that's sleeping. Yeah, that's an everyday difficulty. So that's going to be a DV of thirteen. Okay. Um, if you don't want to do that, uh, generally an easy thing is going to be a fifteen or a thirteen, and then difficult is going to be a seventeen. Ah, okay. And okay. some really difficult is going to be a twenty-one, and then some impossible that you know once in a lifetime thing is going to be a twenty-four. So uh, I've listened to other G- GMs talk about uh, difficulty value, and they basically they say you can use the um, the, the chart and there's yeah. you know, those uh, six uh, sorry five values or you can just kind of say if it's going to be you know fairly a regular roll a 15 if it's going to be something difficult you're rolling a 17 right so kind of thing. so I would take um, my uh, excuse me a tribute or uh, your stat yeah stat sorry stat with a skill Take that combination of numbers, roll my d10, and add it all together? Yes, that's just right. To see if I achieve it. Okay. And you're looking to roll over the difficulty value. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yeah. You're not rolling under uh, in, in this system, like we, we saw with Fargo. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, in this in case uh, sneaking, I'd take my dex stat, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, you know, govern stealth. i take my stealth, um, my stealth uh, value, yeah, which is the skill. I'd add those together, roll the d10, and if it beats the difficulty value... Great. If it's under, not so great for the for the player. <laughs> now, uh, the all important crits. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, when you roll a natural ten on your d10, mm-hmm. you've scored a critical success. Roll another d10 and add the result to your first roll. If you roll another ten, you do not score another critical success. Ah. So um, there is an, a, an additive feature here that yeah, I crit. You get to roll a d10 and you get to add it on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, crits are additive, um, and then failures. 
the crit failure, if you roll one on your d10, yeah. you scored a critical failure. Uh, roll another d10 and subtract the result from your stat skill uh, and on the first roll. So if I roll another one, you do not score another critical failure. So so it's not guaranteed that you'll fail if you roll yeah. a, crit, a critical failure. Yeah. It's just very likely you'll fail. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a chance that you can face roll your way through something. Wow. And, uh, and still, and still get through, or and it's it's obviously up to the GM. Um, there are tr- you can try again if you fail a skill check. Hmm. You can't try again unless your chances of success have improved for some reason. You okay. took either you took longer, used a better tool, or you or one of your friends made a complimentary skill check. So there is uh, a help uh, ability as well. Okay. Or as uh, your pl- pl- other players are at least able to help you. Complimentary skill checks are where you use one of skill directly affects the use. Of a subsequent skill, at the GM's discretion, a good roll in one skill, which can even be rolled by another character, make infer a plus one bonus to the subsequent use of a related skill. Okay. So long as the complementary nature of the two skills makes sense, this plus one bonus only affects a subsequent attempt once, and the complementary skill bonuses do not stack. So. So it's interesting. That's also a D10 compared to a D20 because it's a lot more likely that you will either critically succeed or critically fail in this system than it would be like in mm-hmm. D&D. Yeah, true, eh? Yeah. Um, I think that's where uh, people, when they've described this game, have described it as dangerous. <laughs> high stakes. High yeah. stakes, exactly. High stakes, high rewards. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the G, uh, GM I was listening to was saying that he had two scenarios that were, they were low-level gonks, just, just goons that his team was going up against, and player happened to roll bad she ended up losing her hand Ooh, by a heavy pistol it wasn't like someone took a bazooka and absolutely blasted her away yeah no it was just happened to be a bad roll that she lost her hand wow and then in another situation where it was just an easy and he happened to survive because he rolled one over the the, the against the attacker's uh, value so yeah it's that, the danger of, of this game is that there's lots of variability yeah. With, between what can happen, right? It's not that... Easy, even an easy task yes. can go really badly. Really badly, really quickly, yeah. exactly. Or it can go really good. You can get by, like, by the skin of, you know, your, another player's teeth, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you can just sneak your way by, and uh, so I think that's, that's pretty cool with... Uh, nice. But how do you sneak your way by? You can use luck. Ah. Uh, before you roll, you can dedicate a portion of your remaining luck pool, which holds luck points equal to your luck stat, and which refills at the beginning of each game session. Okay. And you can add it to a check, which increases the roll by plus one for each point in your luck pool that you expend. Okay. Right. Luck is a powerful force that can allow you to otherwise allow the otherwise impassable to become attainable. Nice. Impossible, sorry. Yeah. And <laughs> John, you were mentioning how cra- you know the crazy amount of skills here. What happens when you don't have a skill that? Yeah. Uh, so you just choose the closest. Uh, Either you choose the closest stat or skill that is applicable, mm-hmm. or if you know I need to make a contortionist roll, uh, and I don't have any any stats, any um, points in contortionist uh, skill, um, you're just rolling straight. Uh, that would be straight dexed. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's a plus zero, basically. Yeah. Not exactly. Yeah. So generally, as you're role playing through the world. Uh, you're gonna take uh, yeah. You're gonna do your attack. Generally, a player would be an attacker. So if I gotta make um, an accounting check or uh, a brawl check, uh, sorry, not a brawl check, but like um, say a human perception check, I'm gonna be considered an attacker, and it's gonna be my stat 
and skill plus a d10 against the difficulty value. Yeah. Um, if you need to roll against another player, the defend uh, same thing. The uh, attacker would roll their stat and their skill and their d10, whereas the defender and the other player would roll the same stat and skill um, combination, and then defender always wins ah, in a tie. Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. <clears throat> but yes, there are conflicting, uh, you know, head-to-head rules in, in this game as well. Yeah. So you as, as a, a DM, when you're running an NPC, is that normally like what will happen? Or will an NPC be counted as like just like a difficulty check? That's normally what would happen. You'd be rolling as the NPC. Um, okay. Ah, okay. You want to play your NPCs smart yeah. as, a, as a GM. Uh, you want to make this world dangerous for your players. Yeah. So, uh, and there's something called a face down. Not everything has to escalate to violence right away. Um, uh, pardon me, the uh, face down is where basically you and that NPC or you and that other player, you know, things are getting tense. Yeah. And someone wants to uh, say, I want to intimidate this, this, you know, this, this guy that just drew a gun on me. You can do that, and you have a face down. So you each roll your. Um, it's an opposing roll against each other, and whoever wins, mm. um, either that other person backs off, or they have a minus one moving forward. Ooh. Okay. So that you know that that guy that drew a gun still might try to initiate combat, but uh, sorry, it, yeah, it's a cool plus D ten is is the competing rolls. Okay. In a tie, nothing happens. Otherwise, the loser has the option of either backing down or taking, sorry, a minus two Ooh. to any future actions made against this opponent due to fear until they have def- defeated them once. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about weaponry? Am I jumping ahead? Sorry. Uh, just rolling into that. Uh, oh, sorry. So, Perfect. Yeah. Good timing. <laughs> face down, you know, you're, trying to, you're in combat now, right? Yeah. You've gone through your face down and uh, things are getting deadly. Um... Weapons work kind of interesting. They, depending on uh, at least for range weapons, the va- the the difficulty value uh, on the roll. So if I'm rolling to shoot, yeah. Um, if I've got a heavy pistol, the distance between my pip and the uh, my enemy's pip, as it increases, the higher the difficulty value that I'm rolling against for my attack. Ah. Uh, and each different weapon, each different uh, range weapon has a different. Um, ratio of uh, a gradient of, of difficulty values depending on uh, distance. So like a pistol, it's not going to have you know, as further away that the enemy pip gets, the harder, more difficult my shots are with say maybe a um, uh, an assault rifle mm. that's going to have more accuracy over longer range so the difficulty values aren't as great versus a sniper rifle which you know even even more so. Right. So how does that work if you have let's say a sniper rifle I can see okay a sniper rifle is going to be really good at long range mm. compared to a pistol but what if you're at close range? Um, is there like a, a, a backwards kind of modifier for some guns, like a sniper rifle, where I think close so. quarters you don't really want to, yeah. like inside of an apartment building, I probably don't want to be using a sniper rifle <laughs> busted through doors. And on a, 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 the stat block for a weapon, I think that definitely can be built in. Mm. Okay. Um, I have not looked at the stats for a sniper rifle, but that would make sense to me. Yeah. And that's what, exactly kind of what I was thinking, is that yeah, a sniper rifle, you know, you're not really using that. Um, you know, unless you're using it as a bludgeon. Uh, <laughs> the old butt of the rifle there. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty effective. I've seen that. Yeah, because I wonder if it's similar to, like, um, in, in the follow-up game we played, mm-hmm. uh, your weapon has a, a set range that it's got, like either yeah. close, medium, or, or, or long. 
and every time every every um, distance away from like your your ideal distance makes it more difficult whether it's shorter or farther away right okay so I wonder if that's kind of similar to this one I imagine right I mean I'm just putting on a spot right here for now but <laughs> <laughs> I see that mechanic in a lot of games nowadays like cover distance um, obviously skills and, and all yeah. that factor in your, the effectiveness of a weapon right depending on where you are where it is where your enemy is yeah like, right so that does make sense it's interesting I'm looking at the um, stat block here for a sniper rifle and actually even though um, when we played last we were dealing with the, the uh, difficulty values of, of distance um, per per weapons that we were using but um, it does not list it here in the stat block what it does list that I found was interesting is that there are certain weapons that are called uh, shoulder arms Ooh. and a sniper rifle falls under that and you actually there's actually a stat that governs um, shoulder arms that generally uh, a solo is going to stat into so that they can use a heavier you know and bigger weapons so uh, generally any other class unless they actually put points into shoulder arms are only going to be able to use handguns effectively wow. uh, and there are actually there are bows and crossbows as well but uh, yeah there are stats that will govern or sorry I should stop saying stats there are skills that will, that will govern uh, certain weapon types nice. okay yeah. so like yeah because I'm wondering like here we go oh you got it yeah so um, a snipe, uh, so the, the group of sniper rifles uh, as a weapon type um, 0 to 6 yards is a 30 uh, difficulty value 7 to 12 is 25, 25 for 13 to 25 yards, uh, 26 to 50 yards, you're at 20 now. 51 oh, to 100 yards, you're at 15, then 100, 101 to 200, 16, 200 to 400, 17, 400 to 800, 20. So okay, it, so it's, it's got that kind of sweet spot. It does, yeah. yeah. It's got that, that parabola of, um, yeah. Uh, pistols, on the other hand, are straight, um, straight linear. 13, right. 15, 20, 25, 30, 30, 30, not applicable. So it gets to a point, like, you're not making a 200-yard shot. Yeah. Or sorry, 201-yard shot, according to this, uh, <laughs> with, a, with a pistol. Yeah. And any pistol. There are hand cannon pistols that are meant to be really heavy, do a lot of damage. But yeah. even that's not going to help range. it yeah. you know, go out to uh, you know, 200 yards. Right, yeah. So no 360 no-scope in this game. Negatory. <laughs> or at least not very often. Yeah, exactly. And... Um, I think generally, uh, if you're playing on a mat with tiles, yeah. uh, certain uh, squares have a uh, kind of a round off, a rounded off um, uh, range. So you could easily count up squares and uh, and determine the range. Uh, and then obviously you're looking up the chart for for difficulty values. So yeah, um, the stat that governs guns is your uh, reflexes. Yeah. Right, and so you're rolling that plus the uh, specific weapon type yes. skill that you have exactly, and then that and then yeah, the distance obviously determines your value, and then if you hit it, you're you're you're, you're hitting your enemy and you're rolling damage. But before we actually get to the action part, <laughs> what happens to determine initiative? Oh yes, right now. So um, in this game, uh, unlike D and D, which uh, every round is generally six seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three seconds Ooh. for uh, Cyberpunk. And actually, some so there's some cool things going on with, with turns. Uh, so obviously, before combat, you roll initiative, and that's your uh, reflex plus a d10. Okay. Uh, each turn, so once you get the turn order, the initiative order, you, you go through you know turns as you, you expect you would. Uh, for each turn, 
you got one move action and one other action. Okay. Every turn a character gets one move action and one action. Right. So what's a move action is a move <coughs> as many yards as your move stat times two each turn. Or squares equal to your move stat. So um, your move stat is going to be something like 10 or 16. Like or, So um, if you're counting your, your, you know, your distance in yards, 16 times 2 would be your, your full, you, what you can move in, in yards for that turn, but or just stick 16 squares if you're using a, a mat. So they try to simplify uh, distance and movement. Okay, and, right. Um, it, but it is more exact than, say, Fallout, where you've got uh, close versus um, yeah. further away, beating versus, versus far. Um, so you can move, and then you have, a, obviously, a list of actions. You can attack, uh, they're melee arranged. You can choke, that's choke an op opponent that you've grabbed. You can get up, so uh, being prone obviously uh, kills all your move, but yeah. uh, you have to take an action to stand up from pr being prone. And then, but you can, yeah, you cannot use your move action if you're prone. Uh, you can grab, so you can grab and hold an opponent or take away an object they're holding. Mm -hmm. uh, you could hold an action, so you can kind of, um, kind of do an if statement to your uh, your DM, uh, you know, kind of a programming uh, idea where you have to beforehand. So if it's my turn. I need to stipulate, I want to hold my action until such an event happens. Mm -hmm. You can't say, you know, you can't conjoin two events after, like, if a character, uh, if this enemy pops out of cover and pops back in, then I won't do it. No, you just have to kind of say something simple, like if that character peeks his head out of cover, then um, my action will, uh, will be triggered. Okay. So you must choose a specified event to trigger the action or a specific number in the initiative queue when the action occurs as well as what that action is and what its intended target is. Okay, nice. So I could take my move action and then I could hold an action and then that's the end of my turn until I get inserted uh, to wherever I, um, I put my uh, held action, whether it's in the, if it's in the initiative queue. If, obviously if that action doesn't happen in, in the course of the turn's order and I've said, you know, if that guy pops out of cover, if he never comes out of cover, uh, you just wasted your action. Yeah, just wasted my action. Oh, exactly. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Uh, another mechanic here in this, uh, since you know guns are a big deal, mm -hmm. um, each gun has its own magazine size, oh. which means you got to reload. Yeah. So uh, certain, um, cer each each weapon type has its own rate of fire, mm -hmm. and so rate of fire means you can take up. Um, so if I, if my pistol has two rate of fire, I can actually take two shots. Oh, okay. Turn. Do you have to roll them separately? Yes. Okay. Oh. Um, and and I'll get to that in a minute. But um, my, my point, then I've used two bullets out right. of my magazine, so I might have to take if I've used up all my bullets in my magazine, I might have to take an action to to reload. Mm. And then there are certain abilities, um, especially with um, solos and or at least uh, automatic assault we uh, weapons. There is something called auto fire, which is going to burn through a magazine in in one turn. So yeah, reload can become a big thing uh, more for, for those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, so the reload's an action, run, which is uh, take an additional move action, but only if you've already taken a move action this turn. So you oh. can basically turn your action into a move. Okay. So uh, that's what, what kind of dashing will be. Uh, stabilize, because uh, first aid's a big deal um, in a firefight. So um, each character, I think, is going to have some level of stabilize, even if you're not a med tech. Yeah. Um, so technically... The media could come over and try to stabilize, um, uh, you know, your teammate that's currently uh, rolling death saves. Yeah. Well, we all know how to put on a band aid. <laughs> come on. Yeah. You know, right. band aid on that stump of the hand doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Um, throwing is another thing that you can do. Uh, 
basically you can throw your opponent to the ground if you've uh, grappled them. Um, or use a skill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said earlier, that uh, rounds are three, uh, turns are three seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, use one of your skills to accomplish a quick task. A longer task will require multiple actions over the course of multiple turns, rolling only when the full time has been paid for in three-second increments. So, GM, if you think the task can't be completed in three seconds, the, the player's going to have to wait till his next turn or however many turns you think that task uh-huh. is going to need to be completed. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. We've explained uh, ranged combat DVs, uh, difficulty values. Uh, your move action. Um, every turn a character can move... Um, you can split your movement up, mm-hmm. so and then that kind of gets into the rate of fire. Is you can split your turn, and so if I've got two shots and I want to move, I could shoot, move, shoot. Okay. Oh, or I cool. could shoot, shoot, move. So you can um, break up your turn into into different, uh, right. into different things. But sniper rifles obviously only have a rate of fire of one, but my heavy pistol might have a rate of fire of two. So I could um, move to get closer and take two shots at this guy to get in range, or I could, you know, in theory shoot, move out of the way maybe, shoot yeah. again, or move back into... So you can even break up your um, your full move into uh, in, into different uh, different sections. So and it, those shots, so let's say that you have a, a fire rate of two, mm. can they be at different targets? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm. You, you don't have to just pick uh, one if you've got uh, multiple, uh, multiple rates of fire. Right, yeah. Uh, range combat. So... Melee and uh, I guess something really important in this game is wearing armor. Yeah, um, and specifically for ranged combat, because uh, ranged combat is deadly, and your armor that you wear will negate range damage. Mm-hmm. If so, I've I've successfully rolled uh, my heavy pistol shot at this uh, at this booster ganger, and I shoot him. If he's not wearing armor, obviously he's going to take the full damage. Yeah, and. Uh, the defender's D and uh, if you beat the DV, the defender wins. Uh, defender always wins in a tie. Sorry, before I get to armor, hey, I'm skipping through a lot here. <laughs> That's okay. Like no two. We're gonna get into the nuts and bolts of this. Yeah, as we start playing, well, right? a lot more of this will come up too. Yeah. So yeah, uh, when you, when you take damage, um, your attacker rolls the damage on their for their attack. Subtract your armor's SP from the damage and subtract any remaining damage from your hit points. Okay. So your armor can ablate. Um, if uh, they've taken too much damage. So I think if you get hit with damage uh, from that shot, it ablates your armor by one point. If you oh, ended up taking cool. any damage, reduce your armor's SP by one point until it's repaired. So you could only take partial damage, but then you're also your armor's not going to protect you as well okay. if, you get hit, if you get hit next. That's cool. So you got to track your armor, too. Yes. So if I have, like, let's say my armor has five points of whatever its value is, yeah. um, and they do six damage, so... They'll do one damage to me, yeah. but next turn, if they do six damage again, I'll take two damage exactly. because your armor's getting worse and worse each time. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's if they haven't crit you. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can, uh, like, uh, I think, like in the Fallout game, you can um, specify where you're going to hit, right. but yeah. only in two areas, either um, full body or the head. Okay, so aim for headshots. Yes. That's about it. Yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, obviously you're going to be taking a lot of damage uh, in range combat, uh, to kind of prevent from that, uh, there's they really simplified. Uh, there is a cover system, but they really simplified it. Ah. If you're behind cover, you're behind cover. There's no partial cover. Ah, okay. So okay. either you're behind it or you're not. If yeah. you have line of sight, uh, you aren't in cover. There's no partial cover, uh, uh, th- and cover can be uh, line of sight, but um, 
certain materials have a HP value. Yeah. So if I know my enemy's behind this thick steel wall, I can put enough bullets into it to take away the HP of that wall until it gets down to zero, and then that doesn't act as cover anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think there might be some leeway with, uh, you know, if I hide behind, say, I don't know, a wall that's just, you know, thin plastic. But technically, someone could just light up that plastic and, you know, I'm going to take whatever damage. Would it maybe, like, count as, like, an armor or something like that? Or no, would it, just reduce the damage? Not, no, I, th- I think you'd get hit if they just... But I think where the leeway would come in was my thought is that if they don't see you, yeah, you could technically... That line of sight, you're technically in, in cover in that sense. But if they decide to shoot at that cover, you're going to take damage anyway. Right? Oh, okay. Unless, oh, okay. Unless it's, unless it's something that's got health. So, like... A, and then that's up to GM's discretion. They've got a list of uh, suggested materials like uh, thick plaster, foam, or plastic, uh, thin wood, thick wood, thin concrete, thick concrete, thin bulletproof bulletproof glass, thick bulletproof glass, thin stone versus thick stone, and thin steel versus thick steel. And they give lists uh, and um, HP values. Uh, but it's obviously up to the GM's discretion if uh, you know <laughs> you're. It's a paper wall. Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> So if I'm using like a sniper rifle, yeah, and the guy is behind um, drywall or something right. like that, and I take a shot at the drywall. Let's say the drywall has like three health. Sure. Yeah. My sniper rifle does like twenty damage. Yeah. Does that does that mean that the drywall just dies, and then the next turn I have to try and do damage, or does like that some of that excess damage carry on to the person behind it? Follow through. Um, so uh, raw, uh, if it cannot stop a bullet, it provides no cover and thus has no HP. So maybe I'm I'm not thinking there's any leeway, but anyway, yeah, anything you can take cover behind has HP. Each two meters or two yards by two yards uh, square section can be attacked just like you can. Mm-hmm. At zero HP, cover is destroyed. If a cover HP drops to zero, excess damage is lost and doesn't harm any targets hiding behind it. Okay, uh, so that's my question. But what happens if you're uh, You've taken damage, you know, you're, uh, and things get uh, bad. If an attacker rolled two or more sixes on their damage dice, you suffer five damage directly to your HP in addition to a critical injury. Uh, and then there's a critical injuries uh, table yeah. that, you, that you roll on and you would suffer that injury. Uh, there are wounded states. As you take damage, you cross wound state thresholds, eventually becoming wounded in ways that impair your performance. Each new wound state replaces the effect of your previous wound state. Your wound state is determined by the amount of hit points you have remaining. You are lightly wounded if you are less than uh, your full HP total. There's no penalties for being lightly wounded. So you take a damage, you're lightly wounded, you're you're not going to take any... um, There's no penalties. No penalties, yeah, exactly. You're seriously wounded if your current hit points are equal to or less than half of your full hit point total. So you're under half. In easy mode, we calculate this for you and put it in your sheet. But if you're seriously wounded, you take a minus two penalty to all checks. Okay. You're mortally wounded when you have less than one hit point. When you're mortally wounded, you take a minus four to all checks and a minus six to your move. Uh, plus, you have to start making death saves. And so yeah, mortally wounded and we're done. <laughs> That's it. No. Um, we're going to leave the the real, uh, what makes cyberpunk dangerous here uh, for next time. We've uh, covered, this is all you really need to know for uh, combat. We'll cover a little bit more um, with um, the good old death saves. And uh, But yeah, you've got everything here. Uh, maybe if you want to pick this up in between you know, uh, uh, this session and next session. Uh, yeah, you're just reading uh, things like br- uh, how to brawl, uh, how melee works. But really, they're just specifics. They're not 
uh, you know, there's not pages and pages of stuff that you're missing out here. Uh, so, yeah, we will get to the um, the good stuff uh, next uh, next time, and then we'll get into some character creation, and then uh, yeah. we'll show you how it's done. We'll uh, we'll do some playing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, Steve. This Perfect. game looks amazing. It is robust. Yeah, very the robust. Yeah. There's, there's lots here, and there's, there's even you know even deeper end of this pool to dive into with the core rules. So uh, awesome. yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to playing. Awesome. Thanks yeah. for that part one, Steve. Cheers. And uh, <laughs> listeners, we'll see you uh, for part two. This has been Take Your DM Shot with Steve Scherfan, John Christ, and Tristan Ham. Special thanks to John Lovell for the use of the intro and outro music and to Authentic Dungeons for all your RPG and gaming needs. Thanks again and tune in for more episodes.